Honored to be here. Thank you for, Stephen, inviting me to be a part of this series. I really like the theme of this series, Safe Harbor, Faith in Turbulent Times. Boy, our country right now needs, uh, these are turbulent times, and we need our faith. My text today, my scripture was the 90th Psalm. Now, back when I accepted the opportunity of coming, I was uh, playing in some old-timers games, and I realized how many of my teammates have gone on to be with the Lord. In fact, we had a reunion of the 1961 New York Yankees. That was way back a long time ago, but Marjorie Maris hit 61 home runs that year. They set some records. Three of our catchers with no DH hit over 61 home runs. I hit three that year, and they, they made a a sweatshirt with all the home runs for the starting lineup. I was embarrassed to wear mine because there were so many on the others. But they had a reunion some 35 years later in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and my son was just graduating from Clemson University in architecture. And so I missed the first day and listened to Elizabeth Dole speak at commencement exercises. And then I flew from Greenville to Atlantic City, and my teammates were there in the big ballroom, 1,000 people there. And they talked about some of the thrills of the year 61, some of the home runs that were hit. And when it was over, I went up to my room in the hotel, and I was reading my devotion. And it was the 90th Psalm, written by Moses, the great lawgiver, some 1,400 years before the time of Christ. It talks about how rapidly time is passing, how much there is that needs to be accomplished. It says, life is a tale that is told. And then it says, it is soon cut off, and we fly away. But then the 12th verse says, teach us to number our days, that we might apply our hearts into wisdom. And as I was reading that that night, I realized nothing was said in our three days of meeting, two of which I attended, about the three fellows on that club that had already gone into eternity. Roger Maris on a battle with cancer at 51 years of age. Elston Howard, that fine catcher. Duke Moss, a young pitcher. And the 90th Psalm just spoke to me at that time, and I think the summation of that 90th Psalm is God's eternal nature is contrasted with man's frailty. Our time on earth is limited, and we are to use it wisely, not living for the moment, but with our eternal home in mind. Now, I appreciate the friends that have come out today that uh, like baseball. My story, my tale started out in Sumter, South Carolina, where at 14 years of age, after playing Little League ball and uh, various uh, younger, younger teams, younger teams, I went out for the high school team and got cut. And I did go out for the American Legion team that summer, and I made that team. And we won the state championship, and we were playing in Charlotte, North Carolina, after winning the regional championship against Richmond, Virginia, And the winner of that game would go to the American Legion World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. And they took our team out to see a film before that last game. And it was Pride of the Yankees, the story of Lou Gehrig. Gary Cooper played the part in the film, and I thought, what a great organization. How I'd like to be a part of that. Just so happened, the next year, the New York Yankees had a farm club. It had spring training in my hometown of Sumter, South Carolina. Mayo Smith was the manager. He came out and watched our high school team play. I did make it the next year and came over to me after the game and said, when you graduate from a high school, I'll see to it you have a chance to sign with the Yankees. He kept his word, and sure enough, we corresponded, and I signed as a 17-year-old. In those days, there was no draft. There were eight teams in the American League, eight in the National, 
And of those 16, I had a chance to sign with 12 for exactly the same bonus. If they gave you more than $4,000, you had to go up and spend two years on the parent roster. And that wouldn't be very wise for a 17-year-old. And so I signed with the Yankees, and a friend in town had a private plane, and he was going to fly me to New York to work out for four days with the Yankees. I'd never been on a plane, and I said, can we go any other way? And we <laughs> took the train from Sumter to Florence to New York, checked into the Hotel New York. I took a cab out to Yankee Stadium. And for four days, I worked out with Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Hank Bauer, Phil Rizzuto. I was asked to go out and field some ground balls and then take batting practice with the Yankees before the game. Well, I fielded the ground balls, and I stood around the cage, but I wasn't about to step in front of any of those regulars on the lineup. Mickey Mantle came up to me and put his arm around me and said, Come on, kid, step in here and take some swings. And it started a friendship that lasted a lifetime. A dozen years in New York as teammates, and the Yankees won the pennant nine out of the first ten years I played. In 55 and 6, we played the Dodgers. 57 and 8 was the Milwaukee Braves. Atlanta was not around at that time. 59 was the only year we didn't win, but in 1960, we played the Pirates, 61 Cincinnati, 62 San Francisco, 63 the Dodgers, 64 the Cardinals. Well, the question asks, what happened in 1959? And I think I know. Going into the last game of the season in 1959, the Yankees didn't have a single 300 hitter. I was hitting 299, and Casey Stingle, our manager, said, hey, if you can get a hit first time up tomorrow, we'll take you out of the lineup, and the Yankees will have at least one 300 hitter. Word sort of got around, I needed a base hit, and Billy O'Dell was pitching. He and I quail hunt together down in South Carolina, and he sent word over, I'll be throwing it right in there for you tomorrow. Brooks Robinson was playing third base, and he sent word over, I'll be playing real deep if you want to bunt. And the catcher was Joe Ginsburg. He said, I'll tell you what's coming. And the face, first base umpire was Ed Hurley. He said, just make it close. I hit a line drive to right field, and my best friend, Albie Pearson, made it a diving catch. He didn't get in on it, but I got a hit next time up and ended up 301. Those were great years. I enjoyed playing, wonderful teammates. Then I became a college coach. The Yankees came down and played our team at the University of South Carolina, and our team that year with Whitey Ford's son as my shortstop, Rizzuto's son playing for me, finished second in the nation in the College World Series. And, uh, Lost out to Texas in the final game. Our record was 51-6 and six that year. So it was a good year, and I enjoyed sports just really all my life. But I guess uh, what I'd like to do just for a moment, since I've talked about myself a little bit, is to read the passage that I want to share with you today. It's found in 2 Corinthians, a fourth chapter. And I'd like to start with the fourth verse. And the fourth verse says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now, along with your theme, and these are turbulent times, my wife and I in the motel this morning were talking about devotions that we had had, and I remembered one that I think fit into this occasion very well. It starts out by saying, Thy Savior is near thee, suffering, lonely, tempted friend. Thou art not the plaything of wild chance. 
There is a purpose in thy life which Jesus is working out. Let thy spirit flee for rest to Christ and to his pierced hand which opens the book of thy life. Rest thee there. Be patient and trustful. All will work out right. Someday thou will understand. In the meantime, trust him, though sun and moon fail and the stars drop into the dark. You know, I, I have a friend that I hunt with. I'm an outdoorsman. I love to hunt and fish. And Cleve McCleary is my buddy. He's from Pauley's Island, South Carolina. In Vietnam, he lost an eye, lost an arm, three purple hearts, a bronze star and the silver star. And he and I quail hunt together. We dove hunt together, duck hunt together, pheasant hunt together. And every time I'm with him, I think of the father who found his son in an army hospital. Very wealthy man, delighted to see that his son was recovering, would have no permanent scores or handicaps. And as he talked with his son, the young man said, that must be Jim's dad. The boy's eyes wandered from his father's face to a nearby bed, where a horribly broken body lay in awful misery, and a quite ordinary-looking man stood at his side. Who is Jim, asked the father. A fellow from outfit, he's dying, swell kid. The man of apparent affluence looked at the drama of life and death being enacted so close to him. Nurses and doctors were there in a moment. It was obvious that death was near. And he was startled to see this man move down to the foot of the bed and start singing. It was feeble, it was broken in spots, but it was singing. And he could only ask, how can you sing like that? And the man looked up and replied, I have missed much that most men count valuable. I've lost a farm, I failed at business. I have very little of worldly goods, but one thing I made sure of, I led my boy to Jesus. Now I shall lose my boy, but not forever. Some men gain a great deal and lose it all at death. I have lost a great deal, but I shall gain far more when I step into heaven. Is there a quality in our conviction? That's my theme for a few moments this morning. Is there a quality in your conviction? You know, I... I was sitting at my desk at Liberty University, and I did coach there. Did you know your pastor went there for a little while? I'm not sure how he did there, but he went there for a little while. And, and uh, my phone rang, and the person on the other end said, Bobby, this is Dick Hauser. Some of you will remember that name. He managed the New York Yankees, Kansas City Royals to World's Championship. And when he told me who he was, I remembered that three months earlier, I had read that he had had a tumor and perhaps had been given six months to live at the most. And about three months had passed by. And when he told me who he was, he said, I'm really discouraged. Can you encourage me from the scriptures? And the verse that I shared with Dick was Philippians 4, but I used a Phillips translation. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Find your joy in him at all times. Never forget his nearness. And then it says, tell God in detail your problems, your anxieties. And the promise is the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds as we rest in Christ Jesus. He said, thank you, just what it is. I said, wait, don't hang up. I've got a friend that's been through a battle with cancer. He's written a book called Beyond the Barriers. Can I send you a copy? He said, do it. I did. He read it. He didn't call me back. He called my friend back. And uh, in the three months that he lived, he was a radiant witness for Christ. Dick shared his testimony in ESPN he was with Billy Graham on national television. Then when he died, his wife Nancy called and said, Bobby, Dick has written out everything he wants for his memorial service at Tallahassee, Florida, where the baseball field at Florida State has been named after him. She said, so many of his friends don't know Christ, 
He wants you to come down and to present the gospel in clarity. I did go, and there were a lot of baseball people in attendance. And I shared that day the biggest thrill I had in the game of baseball, the last game that I played as a New York Yankee. I ruined my whole career with Tony Kubek in the minor leagues and the major leagues, and we often talked about our children and the fact we were missing out on our families. And so after 10 years, nine of which we'd won, we sort of agreed it was time to get our priorities right, and so we both were going to retire from baseball at 30 years of age, and the Yankees found out about it and said, please, don't both of you retire the same year. They'd be short in second. At least one of you play one more year. And so it was all set up that I was going to retire and Tony would play one more year. He got called into reserve program and playing touch football, got a pinched nerve, and Mayo Clinic said he had to retire. It might result in a permanent paralysis. And so the Yankees called and said, Tony can't play. Will you play one more year? And I was glad to do that. And because I did... They gave me a day at Yankee Stadium. At that time, only 10 had been honored with a day at Yankee Stadium, including Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and some others. I remember that day very well because George Beverly Shea sang How Great Thou Art. Cliff Barrett led the national anthem. There were some wonderful gifts given. I went 0 for 5 that day. I remember that very well. (laughs) When the festivities were over, I flew to my home in South Carolina. And after my kids were settled in school, I flew back to New York for the last two weeks of the season. When I got back, my manager, Ralph Houck, said, Hey, listen, we've got a young second baseman that hadn't played very much. Let's watch him play the next two weeks. You watch him, help him, encourage him. But on October the 2nd in Chicago, it'll be the last game you'll ever play as a Yankee. And we'd like for you to be in uniform and play that last game. Well, I told him that I would look forward to that because I did enjoy playing. And then he added one more thing. He said, let's have a team devotion, and you be in charge of that devotion on that day. Well, I knew that my teammates had heard me speak many times, so I said, can I bring a friend in to speak to the ball club? He said it would be fine. And so I called a friend who is the president of a film company in Michigan who can really relate to athletes, and I said, Billy, I want you to speak to the Yankee ball club. There's some on that club that know Christ, and there's some that do not. And I'd like for you to take the Bible and condense it into its very simplest form. I said, don't speak over 15 minutes because athletes won't listen any longer than that. He put a lot of preparation into his message. A room was set aside at the Bismarck Hotel in Chicago. And I remember walking into that room that morning and really being surprised when I found that all the players were there. The broadcasters, the coaches were there. And as I stood in the back of the room and looked over their shoulders, they were fine, efficient, professional baseball players. And yet I knew them as men who had problems, some financial, some marital, problems of various natures. And yet my friend standing in front of that group that day portrayed the answer to each one of these problems in the person of Jesus Christ. He held his Bible up and he said, the Bible says three things. Number one, the Bible says there's a problem and the problem is sin. Number two, the Bible gives the answer to the problem in the person of Jesus Christ. And number three, the Bible demands a decision. And then he turned around, he had a blackboard and a piece of chalk, and he wrote this question up on the blackboard. What have you done with Jesus Christ? And then he went on to give one of three possible answers. Number one, to say yes, to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I remember looking around that room at some of my teammates Big, tall Steve Hamilton, the left-handed pitcher that played for the Lakers in basketball before he joined the Yankees. I remember the night in our home in Ridgewood, New Jersey, when he gave his heart to Christ. And Bobby Mercer. 
I remember the night a friend led Bobby Mercer to Christ. And then I thought about my own life growing up in Sumter, South Carolina as a boy of 14. My mom had invited our pastor to come over to our home on a Sunday afternoon. I wanted to be outside playing basketball, but I was ushered in. He opened his Bible and he started sharing verses like when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He turned to Romans and pointed out the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I knew that in my life, I had displeased God in many ways. And he pointed out the penalty involved. The wages of sin is death, eternal death. But then he shared the good news that Christ died for my sins. He was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And that day as a young teenager for the first time, I recognized that I knew about the Lord Jesus. I knew that historically he died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. But for the first time, I was confronted with the fact that it was a personal relationship with a living Savior who gives to us an abundant life. And that day as a young teenager, I responded, acknowledging my sin, repenting of my sin, and receiving the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. And the verse that sealed my decision was John 12. But as many as received him, meaning Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Very hurriedly, my friend went on to the second possibility. In response to that question, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Number one, to say yes. Number two, to say no. And I glanced around that room at some of my teammates. And I knew there were some there that had said no because of some area of their life. They were unwilling to give up. And then very hurriedly, the third possibility was to say maybe. To put it off to a more convenient time. And then he made this statement. I didn't really understand it then, but later I did. He said, saying maybe, even with good intention, saying one of these days in reality is no because of the X fact of death. I went home that summer and I got a letter from a young girl, Agnes Scott College in Georgia. And in that letter, she penned how she had come to know Christ through a campus organization. She was excited, wanted to be with other Christian young people, came to our home, had lunch, going off to visit relatives in Tennessee, but coming back on Monday to get involved. My phone rang on Sunday evening, and the person said, Did you hear about Nancy Griffin? No, what happened? She was on an airline flying from Tennessee back toward the Carolinas. The plane exploded near Greenville, South Carolina. Fourteen lives were snuffed out, just like that. I understood what he meant when he said, saying maybe, because of the exact of death is no. Now, I knew that because Nancy Griffin had said yes to Christ, that she was spending eternity with him. But really only two responses, either yes or no. And then my big thrill in baseball, when the devotion was over and the young second baseman that was to take my place and play for the next seven years came up and said, you know, I've never heard that before. A personal relationship with a living Savior who gives to us an abundant life. I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's the excitement of the Christian life. It doesn't end there. I've played in over 100 old-timers games in the last 45 years. In fact, this last weekend, I was in New York. I didn't play. I coached third base. We had too many younger players. In fact, Mike Musina, some of you remember that name. He was pitching against us. He won 20 games last year and turned down $7 million to play this year. And he was pitching in the old-timers game. So I coached third base. But I guess it was about 20 years ago that I was invited to play in an old-timers game in San Diego. And I flew out to San Diego and put on my... No, I couldn't get in my uniform. I put on Yogi's uniform. And I walked out on the field, and I saw this young second baseman. Hadn't seen him in a dozen years. 
And when I went up to him, I asked him how he was doing. And he looked at me and he said, Coach, I'm not doing very well. He said, you remember that devotion when I said yes to Christ? He said, I didn't follow through. I didn't get involved in a church where God's word is taught and expanded. I didn't open his precious word on a daily basis so that he might speak to me through it. I didn't talk to him in prayer. And with his head down, he said, I guess I've really not been very much of a witness. And you know, as I flew back toward the Carolinas, I thought, man, there are a lot of us that fall into that category. We walk down an aisle, we make a commitment, but we don't follow through in a manner pleasing to God. It is important to be in that church where God's word is taught. To spend time in his precious word, devotions in the home where the father's taking the lead. Talking to him in prayer. And allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we can indeed be a witness. Uh, Do you remember that I said that uh, when I worked out with the Yankees as a 17-year-old, standing around the cage, Mickey Mantle came up and put his arm around me, and we became friends. And that friendship lasted after baseball. He and I had a little place together in Boone, North Carolina, at Grandfather Mountain. I remember on one occasion he and I were there, and we were grand marshals of the ski festival. He didn't know how to ski. I didn't know how to ski. And they filmed it on the lift going up like we knew what we were doing. It was kind of bad weather, and he had to get on a bubble helicopter to fly to Charlotte to catch a plane. And he said, man, let's go in and have some time to read the scriptures. And Betsy, my wife, and I, and Mickey went in. We read the scriptures. We talked about priorities in life. He was in that category of having some area of his life he was unwilling to give up. He came to the University of South Carolina. When I coached down there, we made a film on instructional baseball. Once again, I put somebody with him that really explained the gospel in sincere and sincerity and, and very accurately. He came to my home in Sumter. We gave away 2,000 Mickey Mantle bats at an old-timers game, sellout crowd, and he gave a batting exhibition. Tony Kubek came in to throw to him to watch him hit the ball out of the park. And on all of those occasions, we talked about priorities in life and the need of saying yes to Christ. And then Roger Maris, at 51 years of age, went on to be with the Lord in a battle with cancer. I was asked to have a part in the funeral representing the Yankees. Mickey Mantle was a pallbearer. And I remember we got on our motorhome. It was really cold out in Fargo, North Dakota. Going back to the hotel and Mickey Mantle after the service said, Hey, I want you to have my funeral. Well, I don't remember what I said, but I didn't think it would come about. But some 10 years later, I was on a board called BAT, Baseball Assistance Team. And we were in Dallas, Texas. The board was meeting at the All-Star game there. And my phone rang about 5 o'clock in the morning, and it was Mickey on the phone. My wife answered the phone, and he said, Betsy, I'm really hurting. I'm in the midst of chemotherapy. I want Bobby to pray for me. Mickey had already been on a, on a nationwide interview with Bob Costas where he said, I've been through Betty Ford. I don't drink anymore. Haven't been a good father. Haven't been a good husband. But I have a void in my heart. My wife went out and talked to his wife the next two days. Mickey and I talked several other times. And then he said, don't forget, you're to have my funeral. Three weeks later, as I flew back to my home in Sumter, the call came. He had taken a turn for the worse, and he wanted Betsy and I to come out and be with him. At that time, at Baylor Medical Center, there were two policemen on the door, and only seven were allowed to go in and be with him, his three boys, his wife, and one other friend. And I remember that as I let Betsy off at the home we were staying in and walked into Baylor Medical Center, he had a smile on his face. He said, I can't wait to tell you this. I want you to know I'm a Christian. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. 
I remember crying a little bit, and then I said, Mickey, let me go over it with you just to make sure you understand. And I went over God's plan of salvation, that he loves us, sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to shed his precious blood, and promised in his word that if we would repent of our sin and receive him as Savior, we might indeed have everlasting life. He said, that's just what I've done. Well, I couldn't wait to get back to the home we were staying in and to share that with my wife. And when I did, and she's not here today, but she's a wonderful witness for Christ. She said, let me go back and talk to him. Maybe you didn't explain it right. <laughs> we walked into the Bailey Medical Center and Mickey saw Betsy and he said, oh, Betsy, let me get comfortable. And with IVs in both arms, his boys helped him over in the reclining suite in the adjoining room. And she knelt down by him and shared her testimony of how she'd come to know Christ. And then she asked Mickey the question, Mickey, if a holy God were here today and he would ask you the question, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? He said, Betsy, we're talking about God. And she said, that's right. And then he paused and started quoting John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He had a real peace. He told the doctors he was ready. And some three days later, he went on to be with the Lord. You know, Mickey had a day in New York. They retired as number seven, monument in center field. And he had heard me use these words before, and he said, I want to use them on my day. Well, there was just too much going on. He didn't have a chance. But as I had his service on national television, they were appropriate. It says, your name may not appear down here in this world's Hall of Fame. In fact, you may be so unknown that no one knows your name. The trophies, the honors, the flashbulbs, you may pass you by, and neon lights of blue. But if you love and serve the Lord, then I have news for you. This Hall of Fame is only good as long as time shall be. But keep in mind, God's Hall of Fame is for eternity. This crowd on earth, they soon forget the heroes of the past. They cheer like mad until you fall, and that's how long you last. But in God's Hall of Fame, by just believing in His Son inscribed, you'll find your name. I tell your friend I wouldn't trade my name, however small, That's written there beyond the stars, and that celestial hall. For every famous name on earth, our glory, that's his share. I'd rather be a nun here, have my name up there. And I guess that really does say it all. We found out that Mickey, in the hospital at Baylor Medical Center, had been listening to Pete Maravich's testimony. Lifestyle very much like Mickey's, and yet the most humble testimony I think I've ever heard. And that's what had the impact in his life. You know, wouldn't it have been great if Mickey could have lived and had a chance to come and be a part of a series like this? Should have go back on national television with Bob Costas and to tell the world that he'd received Christ as his Savior and to challenge them? So often I think Christians fail, not because they do not try, but because they do not make use of their assets. Being unfamiliar with the resources that God has made available, many a person limps along the best they can on their own limited resources. And their Christian life is a pale, thin, shallow imitation of the real thing. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. Only Christ can live it. And the essence of the Christian experience is that Christ literally indwells a person, working in and through him God's will and purpose. And the person who struggles in his human best to act like a Christian suffers the pride of partial success. Or the despair of failure if he does not drift along on a dismal plateau of mediocrity, indifference, apathy. Christian growth is a matter of learning the necessity of dependence upon Christ within. And the irony of it is that it's more difficult to be a Christian than a half-hearted one. 
It's always the fence rider who is standing on the shelf and doesn't make a decision. And so my challenge this day to all of us is to make sure that we don't stand on the fence, but that we understand that God has made available all the resources any of us need to live a life for Christ because of his grace. That's the challenge in my heart this day. Can we bow for prayer? Father, thank you for our time together, and thank you for Colonial. Thank you for a pastor that had a desire and a dream to start a church, and your word is presented in such clear way. And I thank you for the Lord Jesus, who himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And with our heads bowed, we'd all acknowledge that we've missed the mark in so many ways. And we understand the penalty involved. But how grateful we are for the good news that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That it's not anything we might do because your word says for by grace are you saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Challenge our hearts that we might indeed answer that question. What have I done with Jesus Christ? Am I in that yes category? Acknowledge my sin. Repented of my sin. And receive the Lord Jesus as my Savior. I want to be honest by saying I'm in that no category. And there have been some areas of my life I've been unwilling to give up. Or perhaps some here with good intentions saying one of these days I'm going to make that decision. But because of the X fact of death, it's already been made. And perhaps there are some here who have said yes to Christ that have fallen away. Like the young second baseman. And you need to get involved in a church where God's word is taught. Spend time in his word. Talk to him in prayer. And allow the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can indeed be a witness. Challenge our hearts this day that we might answer that question and follow through in a manner pleasing to you. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.